Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, our look at the Australian film industry. And uh, we're going to do part two of a long conversation I had with some writers. Uh, Catherine S. McMullen, who is a script writer and who's just had her first script made in uh, The Other Lamb, it's called. We should be watching out for that. It's a very interesting uh uh, thing to have been done. It's been, uh, it's a collaboration with uh, a very uh, fine director. Uh, the first English version of a film made by uh, this particular director. It's in Ireland, set in Ireland, but uh, it's uh, homegrown Australian. And uh, her father, who is Sean McMullen, who is the writer of science fiction, 25 science fiction novels that have been published, um, a runner-up in the Hugo Awards, uh, and uh, 96 short stories, apparently. He's on his way to his 100th. But anyway, we're going to uh, do a second part uh, to this particularly long conversation with uh, some very interesting uh, and successful writers. And the series is, of course, writing where films begin. So let's kick off. And I did production. There's a whole trend between there being showrunners, which are TV writers in charge of everything in yep. America, and then Australia trying to figure out how much of that model we're going to take. And one of the things is I'm like, even if I'm just the writer, even if I'm just on a feature, I never want to be on set and not know what someone is doing and why. Um, and also at a really fundamental level, I think it makes you a better writer. I was going to say, uh, one of the things that I found quite extraordinary when your dad said that you were you were the script writer for this thing in Ireland that was being shot in Ireland, um, The Other Lamb, is that you were so involved, that you were on set. Tell me about that, because I know I've, I've had uh, involvement in films where, you know, the poor old writer is the... Gets locked out, yeah. Yeah, locked <laughs> out, literally <laughs> yep. gets locked out. Yep. I mean, I think it was a combination there. So the producers and I have a great relationship. They are incredible. I, I you know, I'm, I'm very, very happy with our working relationship. And also I think I, because I had been in production, I did know what the goal was. Like I wasn't storming onto set and saying, oh, my God. Oh, you've changed yeah. this. Exactly. The main character is now the lamb instead yeah. of the dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it. Um, I knew what was realistic to expect I knew that you know 
once it starts filming, it's not yours anymore. That's and, right. And it's the blueprint and your vision is incredibly important, but also uh, unless you're a writer-director, to be honest, um, it's it's now someone else's. Yeah, and that's, that's right. really hard, but also the, the thing is, is I, you know, I'm already working on other things and already have other stuff happening. So as a result, you're kind of like, this is great, but I'm, you know, I was just there for two weeks. And to be honest, I was mostly there because I just wanted to see my first film being shot at least a little bit. Um, And I'm also Irish, so it was really lovely. Like I've got an Irish passport as well as an Australian one. And so it was really lovely to be able to go to Ireland for something of mine shooting. Um, Mm. But it it was absolutely a privilege, not a right, because, yeah, in features, the writer is not always involved. Um, And depending on how much them and the director clash, sometimes, yeah, they don't get necessarily allowed to be on set. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. That really is relatively rare. Like ideally that means that. Yeah, that very much would mean that, like, the relationship had broken down. No one really wants that, the producer, the director, the writer. Like, that's not ideal. But it certainly is a different um, power dynamic. From, from your uh, witnessing of the making of the film, uh, how much of it retained the spirit of what you actually wrote? Oh, 100%. Yeah, oh, I was cool. very, so very, very happy. happy. Yeah, very happy. I mean... Uh, and Margos it's set in is... Ireland and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I think um, when they suggested the change, the location change, I I was very lucky that they chose that country because it's a country I have a connection with and I think it has aspects of their landscape that are really wild and uncanny in the same way that I wanted to capture in Australia. Whereas if, you know, it had been somewhere else, I might have struggled a bit more. But I was like, oh, no, actually, th- that can really, really work I know in that, that place. setting. Exactly. I know that place. Um, yeah. And actually there's a whole range of notions uh, that you may have uh, drawn upon, which probably have Celtic background. Yeah, actually. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think it it um, ended up being. Uh, I'm incredibly happy with what Malgo shot, the director, um, and and you know, it's it, it is just that thing of you have to you have to step back and and you know that's not to say that there weren't times that I was like oh that's not what I thought but you know that's those were very much in the minority I was well you know, the, very the, very happy <laughs> they've got a fantastic um the, uh, rumble films whiplash and nightcrawler nightcrawler yeah whiplash just, nightcrawler yes, drive wonderful. um yeah. yeah they've they've done some amazing films david and stephanie are just this fantastic team and um and they've got you know people really respect them like the cast is incredible um the the crew were all incredibly great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sound like I'm just you know fawning, but it it's I, I knew I was very lucky to have that as my first feature experience. Again, because I've I've worked in you know I've worked on features and I'm aware of how differently it can go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah, I mean, it takes that much effort to make a bad film. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Um, <laughs> Sean, you said that your your book it has been made into a script so you you are going into the filmic world it's a little more complex it's a little more complex than that um well words you know I, <laughs> I, I, what's I a few sentences a, between friends i had a story called the precedent published in america in 2009 which basically introduced the theme of um old people being tried and executed for climate crimes. Yeah, yeah. And, um, very topical at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did a prequel to that called Hard Cases where um, sort of contemporaneous with us now, um, people were just really hard cases were taken away and tried and executed in secret. 
in order to um, balance up uh, the, you know, the 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 how can, how can you say it? You know, the ecological balance of right wing and left wing. You know, the, um, the Ghana's phone that cuts you off in traffic and a giant gu- petrol guzzling four wheel drive. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you I take understand. that person off the street. Yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but basically, it was a ten minute film. Um, was was put together Terry Shepherd. Um, so someone took that uh, story and took, then decided to make it into a short film. No, he asked me, uh, do you have a script of it? And I said, oh, well, I have been experimenting right. with script writing and, uh, look, I'll send you the script when I get home. And he liked it. He got um, some backing from Fremantle Media. Um, yeah, yeah. Cop- copy uh, uh, Huge, huge company. It sounds yes. like it's a nice Western Australian place, but well, actually it's a multinational. Go well, on. He got access to the uh, the Nunawading Studios yeah. on one Sunday, and we got the entire ten minute film shot on. Um, in fact, that was Catherine's. Uh, Catherine was on there as a production runner. Yeah. Um, shot on that day, three four months of um, post production, and now it's. I mean, it's on YouTube. That's the prequel to uh, the precedent, and then I thought, well, really can expand this out a lot more. So I expanded it out into a. Um, basically into a 100-minute film. And having got to there, I thought, well, there's all this other stuff I can put in as well. So I expanded it out to a novel as well. So currently, um, that, that was all like only a few months ago. It was ready to roll. I sent, on Catherine's advice, um, sub- submitted the script to um, Final Draft Competition in America and um, got to it in the top five which uh, is out for, of two thousand for context, very very hard. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I, it was that thing where I said, you know, first script, it's fine, it did very well, it's all right. <laughs> and I had no, I was very very proud. And I had Hollywood companies sort of getting in contact and saying, um, oh look, could we see the script? Um, you know, this looks intriguing. And it's as Catherine said, it's very easy um, to say. Well, younger generation putting the older generation on trail and killing them. It's Logan, Logan's run, but it's a, a yeah. different kind of twist on it. Yeah. But a, yeah. It's a good hook. Like, yeah, the thing is, is, you do have to have good characters, but you also, you know, I, I always think character is the most important, but you also have to have an idea that people just get. Yeah, you know? that's right. Link like, in. Yeah, you have to, and I mean, people obsess a bit too much about the elevator pitch or the log line or whatever, but if you're telling me your idea and it's been five minutes and I still don't understand what the purpose of purpose your of it is, yeah. is, I didn't then get it's a finesse. It's yeah. a bit like the uh, the vegan demonstration the other day caused this huge reaction. Yeah. The question I'm asking is why? Why is the ve- what vegan standing up saying you should be vegan really hitting some sort of I think it's, we we feel the dissonance between oh, but that's so annoying versus like I feel it at least underneath kind of going well they're not wrong you know well that's better the for the world easy. it's better so yeah. that's an idea that yeah. would exactly yeah. and it's, it's a really similar concept um, in the precedent I think where you you know every time I use my phone or you know throw away a bit of plastic or whatever. There's that tiny little bit of cognitive dissonance that goes, oh, this isn't great, you know. And you know it, but it takes so much effort to change your life. And the world doesn't seem to be changing. Well, a couple of years ago I was thinking about uh, 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 environmentalists beginning an actual war against people, like Mm -hmm. a violent war. And there are instances of people who have actually taken that. And there's a couple of films I've seen about it. But it never got off the ground because I think – and there are people in prison – Mm. in America who have been tried as terrorists because of their 
a commitment to environmentalism, which is very interesting. In the future, maybe they will be the grand heroes. Exactly. You know, how will we view them in 100 years? Narrative has power and, you know, it's always really interesting when people say, you know, oh, we've done this scientific thing just like this science fiction story and then scientist after scientist will come out and say, no, I, I investigated that thing or I tried to do that because I read that short story 30 years ago. So, you know, I think I have very few applicable skills that aren't writing. You know, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I, I am not particularly, you know, I don't know that I have many ways to help the world, but if I can, you know, write something that makes one person think differently about something, then that's, that's what I can contribute. Um, and I think, you know, with climate fiction, that's if, if we're writing stuff and saying, well, look, this is how it will probably be if things continue on as they are, that's, you know, it's small contribution science fiction writers in general can make. Um, It's the change, I think, is um, the science fiction writer's role in terms of um, what, how can we bring this up in presented to ordinary people and ordinary people will say, well, yes, but I like driving my car. I like watching my widescreen television. I'd like doing this. I like doing that. And uh, can say, well, okay, great, but come back in 10 years when petrol is $50 a litre and you can't drive your car anymore and an egg is $10 each, eggs are $10 each, and you start to get very angry and say, well, why did this happen? Um, the, you know, the sea level's up. It's a lot hotter. We're not getting any rain at all. Um, why did it? And all of a sudden, it's the old arguments of, well, it's comfortable and convenient to stay the way I am, no longer apply, and we're already getting very uncomfortable. That's was, exactly I, right. I was at a dinner a few days ago, and somebody was saying, well, all his orchids have died because he had to go away for, um, I, I think his wife was sick, and he had to go away for about a week, and he came back. There was no rain at all. Nobody was. Oh, watering his watering orchids. his orchids, and it was unseasonally warm. Mm. Uh, well, I, I can ta- I can take you another step. The pe- I was talk I went I I covered the Campbell Bell Field fire. Uh, uh, the reaction to mm. that, and uh, one of the people I was speaking to said that uh, he uh, friends of his live in Faulkner across the road from the factory that was used to make Agent Orange. Mm. That in that area, they couldn't grow anything. And so they put plastic flowers in their gardens because Grim. that was the only way yeah. could, they could deal with it. I mean, it's you know, there's this fascinating capacity to put off things that are, you know, it's like ignoring the tidal wave and then refusing to let people report on it. You know, there's there was this, I mean, it was very darkly funny, but this um, case in Florida in America where uh, people had been there had been reports about the rising sea levels and it was kind of in this atoll that was particularly affected. And so the local council's response, because property prices were dropping uh. for those condos, and the local council's response was literally to ban the report being released. And it was that thing where you kind of went, guys, you know the sea isn't going to listen to that. Like that's going to continue. And and now there, there are literally flooding problems in the the condos that are built along that section of kind of beach, I guess. And it's like, well, yeah, because that solution worked for about two years, but it it's not refusing to let people report on it 
and, and to see not the doing data anything about and they're it. not doing anything about it. Well, I mean, you know, it's the sea. So it is just that thing where it was a really uncomfortable truth that, you know, I, I don't know, be political, but I think it was a you know Republican government and all of that stuff. And it's just like, well, it doesn't matter if you decide that that's not true. Like, you know, you can say that climate change isn't real and climate change doesn't listen to that. My name's Nicholas Rothall. I've directed this film, Undermined, Tales from the Kimberley. You're listening to 3CR. You are. You're listening to Showreel. And uh, we're having uh, uh, the chance to listen again. to This is part two of a conversation I had with writers Catherine S. McMullen and her father, Sean McMullen. And uh, we'll, because it's, uh, it's nice and meaty conversation, we'll quickly go on to the next part. The uh, difference between writing a novel and then moving to writing a script, what were the th- challenges, Sean? Diabolical. Yeah, <laughs> I would have thought so. Um, it's an entirely different skill set, like I, I think to paraphrase the way Catherine's ex- expressed it, you might do f- three, four drafts of uh, 80,000-word, 100,000-word novel. You, you might do 20 or 30 drafts. Of, of of a movie because realistically it's only about eight thousand words long, even though it's a hundred oh, pages. 20, about twenty thousand. Okay, well, yeah, it depends yeah. on the density. About a hundred and fifty pages. Oh no, no, no! Uh, you, uh, you'd be you'd typically ninety to about one hundred and twenty. Yeah, if if I saw a script and I opened it and it was over one hundred and twenty, I would put it down. You're annoyed. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. But yeah, right. but once once again, it's very much more. Polishing and refining and, and being looking able at to your, visualize something. Well, visualize and and as Catherine's um, emphasized to me a great deal, um, reading other people's scripts and seeing how they did it and looking at the structure. And, it's a lot um, more structural. And uh, the structure is so much more important because you have to engage the audience and make sure they don't change channel. And it's, I mean, it's also, you know, it's the same thing in terms of if in a novel I decide to go on a five-page digression about the character's backstory, fine. In a film, if I decide to show that in flashback, that's a new yeah, set. Yeah, that's yeah, young yeah. actors, you know. So yeah, yeah. And at, sometimes that can be suitable. Um, rarely, flashbacks are hard to do well, but yeah, yeah. it can be. Sometimes it um, works. But, but, you know, but that's something where something that I can quite casually write in a, in a book is, is a whole different, a very different proposition in, in scripts. I think, um, and, and I've said this before, but um, the big difference, like because I adapted The Other Land from a story to... Um, to a screenplay as well as my my only adaption really was that in prose you can be very internal you can have a character even if you're in third person you can have a character go oh my god she thought that the lamb was this or whatever so you can get quite abstract you know you can that something reminds them something that happened 15 years ago i can smell something yeah or all of that stuff even if you're not in first person if you're in close third you can get that information across and in film, that's very hard. Um, you have to get it across through dialogue, action or acting. And I can't tell someone to act like, act like you remember that thing that happened 15 years ago. To no, you. no, you know, that's, that's right. not how that works. Um, so it either has to change or, um, or you have to find a different way to convey it. And one of the big things is, is I think if you're a prose writer moving to screenwriting or just screenwriting in general – it's very tempting to have the narrator because that's a that's the narrator is an and it's a lazy, a lazy, it's a lazy. Yeah, I, I would put a ban on it. I think that's um, lazy, and I also think the other thing that people have been doing is we're in this place at this date. Oh, is in in the super at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't yeah. mean I don't 
think it's a terrible thing to do. It's, but I just think it's when, often added it, afterwards as well. Yeah, yeah. It's sometimes highly appropriate. To, I yeah. don't know if you've watched Mr. Robot, but there's a lot of um, narrator in there and he's got such a strange mindset that it actually that's, facilitates well, quite that's a right. lot. It yeah. has to be a per, it has, and, there has to be a reason for it. Well, see, and, that's and, what I mean. Everything but, has to have a reason. And in Generation Nemesis, which is my um, movie sort of uh, version of the um, the climate change um, <laughs> thing, it's such an alien landscape mm. and the idea of actually mass execution of older people is so alien to us that I've literally had to have a narrator occasionally coming in and saying things, but I had to pare it down and pare it down and pare it down. And now it's about a, it's, it's about a tenth of um, what it started off as, and I can still probably get it down a bit more. I'm embarrassed about it, but it, I really need it. I mean, I think the thing is, is with Mr. Robot, that narrator is unreliable. So he says things and says, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then, then you three find episodes out. later, you find out that's not true. And, you know, stylistically... And there's a reason for that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it means that the narrator's role of exposing or explaining yeah, yeah, yeah. is inherently not not something you can lean on, which is actually quite interesting. And, and that's exactly um, right. They, they, na- they've thrown in a curveball. Yeah. And and film noir is another one where I would allow a narrator because that's part of the stylistic It's like Sin elements. City or something like that. Yeah, well, it's part of the stylistic elements of the yeah, genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or things like that. Having a narrator is part of it. I'm certainly not making 100% no narrator rule. No, but, but you know what I'm talking but, about. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I, I see it in a lot of scripts um, and a lot of, you know, scripts by merging people and and it's very, very hard to do well. To And and, and what it is is a crutch because you go, but I want I want to say what I have what to go from thinking. there to there. Well, yeah, I want, to, I want to explain what my character is thinking and, and that's the really unfortunate thing about screenplays compared to prose. You you can, but it's a lot harder. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like anything else. It's a narrative tool that you can use, but I think as a result of it being overused, it's now something that, like with flashbacks, like with, you know, two weeks earlier or whatever, th- those things are tools, but they're tools that maybe a few too many people used. So as a result, um, they need to be very, very justifiable if you're going to use them. Uh, so you're in the middle of your pro- uh, project, to this is your uh, present project, or have you got another project on the of the boil with your novel writing? He's always writing a short story or uh, two. Well, You're always doing something. I mean, yeah. just sheer bloody-minded pride. I'd like to have a hundred short stories <laughs> <laughs> published, so I'm currently working on various ideas. But to some extent, that's in the background. I really want to take Generation Nemesis into the next book, the next script. Yeah. So I'm like I'm working on the structure. Um, I've also got... This is a big challenge, isn't it? It is. And I've got other books um, that I've put together and that Catherine's harassing me into sending out to publishers because I tend to like to create and the idea of selling it is just... That's another it, thing. It, it's all a bit hard, so... Um, but don't th- you have an agent? No. Aha, uh-huh. that's curious. My agent, uh, Ralph Vissenanza, or the, or the company, he died in um, 2008 or nine, oh, around about mm-hmm. then, just about the time I started getting rather senior at work. And, um, and I was being published by various places in Australia and not having to pay agents fees. So in, in a sense, it was attractive to um, work without an agent. But on the other hand, if you w- then you want, want to, to get expand. back into the U.S. market, and the U.S. market's changed quite a lot since then. Yeah, the rise it's of now, books and things have yeah, changed quite a it's, lot. It's now very, very hard. Well, once again, to, to put in the, the famous Neil Gaiman quote, finding a good 
book or story used to be like finding a rare plant in a desert, and now it's like finding that plant in a rainforest. Um, there's just so much stuff out there. In like from the early nineties to 2012, that's about 20 years. The amount of genre material eligible for a particular award, called the Dickmar yeah. Award, Australia's equivalent to the Hugo's, went up somewhere between ten and fifteen times. My God, who reads more, them more? All? Well, mm. people are basically not, and it used to be before. If you do a decent story, everybody would know about, read it, it vote, know about it. Mm. I I got because it's exciting. <coughs> it's exciting yep. when there's a new. I, I got a runner-up for a Hugo Award in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even get a nomination for any of the awards in Australia. It was just swamped by all the other stuff oh, that's, that's out there. Ludicrous. So oh, you do tend to write slightly more internationally with all of your short stories as well. It is, but but once again, if but there is still, so much stuff around, then people are just not going to be able to stay across all of it. Yeah, and yeah, it, it would be almost impossible to even just be reading all of the Australian genre authors coming out, and that like even just Australian genre short stories and novels, that would be most of a year to keep up with what had just been published that year. So the, yeah. the function of a agent would be to be, hey, what about me? What about me? That's what they would – that's their job. Well, yeah. They know people and their agents are trusted by the publishers Yeah, so that they know they're not going to get something really peculiar or, um, or they're going to get some real psycho who harasses them and that sort of thing if they come through an agent, which is very good if you're a it's publisher. Exa- it's exactly like screenwriting. It's culling. It's a, it's a, it's mm. a tool. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. That's right. And uh, But also it shouldn't be underestimated that uh, the stuff that you're doing is not the same as selling. They're not the same thing. Mm. Quite right. Quite right. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean yeah. it's not – most writers aren't great at promoting themselves necessarily. Well, why would you be? Yeah, yeah. it's a very different skill set and we're also often very different personality types. So, yeah. so it's, it's often quite good to have someone yeah, who, you know, who's, who's barracking yeah. for you. Yeah. 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 Catherine has got, um, oddly, oddly enough, the magical combination of being a very good networker and highly sociable and very creative as well. And you really get the two in the one person. This is a proud dad speaking here, just for context, but, everyone. But, but nevertheless, <laughs> if, if you look through the industry, you'll see quite a lot of teams where you've got something of an introvert doing a lot of the writing and somebody else going out and doing the flim-flam. Mm. And well, it's have a skill. Have it, have it with it one person is, 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 is quite rare and um, is a huge advantage. In, in terms of industry standards, Catherine's way, way ahead Dad. of, you know, the benchmark. <laughs> is it, again, proud father, this for all the context. Uh, <laughs> realism, realism. Yeah. <laughs> What's your next project? Um, I'm working on a few different things. I've uh, got my um, my pilot, uh, Awake, that's was won the John Hind last year, which was why we spoke, um, that I'm working on further um, and then uh, writing a new feature and then starting very early development and research for another one that I'm going to be co-writing. Um, Ooh, what's it then, like to co-write? Um, I've done it once before, so I'm, I'm co-writing with someone else this time as well, but I've got a script named Surface that um, is based on a Philip K. Dick story that's out of copyright um, that's with a great writer called Gemma Crofts, who we, yeah. we met actually because she won an award that I was nominated for. So I was like, oh, no, she's yeah, worse. Wow. But then I met her and oh, she's lovely and she's great. Um, uh, and yeah. Philip K. Dick stories, they're just Yeah, yeah, they're, they're brilliant. Which one's this one? Um, I probably can't say, oh. unfortunately. Sorry. Um, it, it's not super secret, I guess, but um, but it's still in very, very early development. Um, but, yeah, so, we, so co-writing's 
great. I mean, I um, I love working in TV because it's more collaborative and so it's been nice in features to feel like I can collaborate with people as well because generally TV you work as a team and features you work on your own and I don't love working just on my own. I like talking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been really nice. And anyway, you can actually argue out ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think there's very, very few ideas that aren't better if you talk them through. You know, um, and, and it can be hard because you can get caught up in a what if, what if, and then if you disagree with someone, you get stuck. But there's almost no times that I've walked away from a writer's room in TV or a story conference or whatever and gone, the idea is worse now than it would have been on my own. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Other smart brains approaching story problems together is results in better work. And that's it for Showreel this week. Coming up next is Published or Not. Don't forget, Radio Cthulhu is coming. Uh, save up your pennies, throw it our way. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.